Hello everybody, it is Fola at work. Welcome to the video. Today I'm going to be speaking with Michelle Lee. She is an executive C-suite women's coach and she specializes in helping women overcome gender bias in the corporate space. So Michelle, great to have you here today. It's my honor and pleasure. Thank you for having me. And could you just share with, our, with my viewers a little bit about, again, who you are and what exactly it is that you do? Absolutely. Thank you. I, like you said, I coach executive C-suite women, and I've been coaching women for two decades. And what I've come to discover is it didn't make sense to me from the beginning that women suffer so much with confidence and I felt intuitively we're not born that way. We're not born suffering from a lack of confidence. And I be, through my work, I began really looking at what has gotten in the way of us really embodying our confidence, our power, our presence. And um, so I started working with women and helping them embody those. And I found that there were four major obstacles that just about every woman I spoke to had experienced. Okay. So, and that leads us to the next question. What were those four obstacles? What sure, sure. Absolutely. And I call those the, I call them the four core wounds. And they really include shame and guilt. And then those lead into the other two wounds, which are fear of rejection and fear of abandonment. And you can see how, you can see how in the workplace, right, we really go in as women, number one, we go in as visitors to the home team because it's been a man's world since yeah. the beginning of time, right? So we're going in as visitors at the home team, not really feeling like our fans or, or we have anyone behind us, right? And what is triggered within us are, is our conditioning that comes from childhood. So just a quick question, because you use an analogy, visitors of a home team, and I'm in the UK, or I went to high school and university in America. Some of my viewers are not from the United States. What does that visitors to the home team actually mean as an analogy? Well, it's, it's a sports analogy, which is interesting. I think it describes it so well, even though I'm not a big sports fan. But when, you're, when you are competing with another team, you either go to their place of home, you go to their school or their stadium, or they come to yours. And we have a phrase in America called the home team advantage. And it really makes sense. You're going into somebody onto somebody else's turf. You're playing in maybe different weather. The stands are filled with the fans of your competitor. And you just kind of feel like an outsider. You know, I've never thought of it that way before, Michelle. But it, it really does, in many ways, encapsulate the way I felt working in the corporate world. Um, you may or we discussed before, I most recently um, am a director of operations in an engineering company, which is like a COO in the United States and Canada, but I've been um, in the corporate world for a large chunk of my, of my professional career. 
And it really has been that space where I've been, into, I've been in an environment where people aren't rooting for me, except for when I worked in Nigeria. Interesting. For uh, three years in um, a few, in the mid, the mid 2010s. And then I really felt more of that home court advantage where being in a space for the first time, I really felt people were rooting for me. Yes. And um, I've never been able to have that described that way and recognize you're coming into, a lot of us are coming in as women and for some of my, my community, women of color and some women who are LGBTQIA, women with disabilities, you're coming into an environment where you are actually the, you're, you're the outsider coming in. You're the opponent, you're, you're the opposing team and they're just not, they're not rooting for you. And it is really real actually, just thinking back to that time in Nigeria, it is really real. Even though I was a woman and it still wasn't the same with the men, people still really had my interests. They really wanted, they wanted me to be successful on a very personal level when I was working um, in that company. And I didn't know anyone there before I did that two and a half, that two year ish um, contract in that space. Wow. So I, I love that you can relate to my analogy because it's really an important piece because when we go into a space, Ola, and we don't belong and we feel like an outsider, what comes up in that moment are those wounds. Those wounds are triggered. And so we suddenly feel ashamed of who we are. We feel guilty for not knowing the rules. We feel guilty for not belonging. We blame ourselves, right? It's like, oh, I need to be more like the home team. And in case of women, I need to be more like the men, more like the white men, right? I need to fit in. And what happens is that we lose our authenticity. Mm -hmm. And when we lose our authenticity, we lose our joy and fulfillment. I see, you know, so many women going into corporate culture with great dreams, great aspirations. Yeah. And and feeling dead inside and escaping basically to redefine their life, redefine their dreams because they didn't get to be who they were born to be in that environment. So let's talk about a couple of the shames, uh, shame wounds and starting well, with shame. What does that look like? How does that manifest from your experience? It, shame is the deepest wound. It's, it's the one I start working with, with women right away. And shame looks like embarrassment, right? When you say, I'm embarrassed, that is, really, that is really shame coming up. Shame around the world, I think in most cultures, and I haven't lived in every culture, shame and guilt are used to control us. As children, we are shamed. I mean, I don't know. My mom used to say shame on you for shame, 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 right? And that feels so, it feels disgusting. It's a horrible feeling inside, right? And I, and I feel it disempowers you because you're now the guilty party, which probably leads to the next one. 
this afternoon, true story, this actually happened a few feet away. Um, I was on the phone in a park and I was speaking a bit loudly. I'm not going to, I own my part of that. But a, a, a man came up to me yelling at me that I'm selfish. I ruined his wife's weekend, uh, afternoon and he's now leaving. And he just began to yell. And he was an Englishman, very middle class, very entitled. And I was shocked for a moment. But then I finally actually said the truth. And I said to him, I'm sorry. And he's like, whatever. No, you're not. And he's continued yelling. And I said, I actually feel very unsafe right now. And I feel that you're bullying me. Can you please go away? And I love the fact I was saying it because that's true. He's trying to make me feel bad because he has, I have transgressed. He is doing an even, I think, even more violent transgression, which is actually worse. But I was trained by myself, sadly. So I've been like, oh, I'm so sorry. No, and just and cower away. But now I can have to say, no, I'm, I feel threatened. I feel bullied. Can you please stop talking like that? I have, I have apologized. And, and truth be told, after he left, I did go away and finish my call somewhere else because I don't think that I, I didn't realize I was being that I was being I was being inconsiderate, but the response was disproportionate to what I was doing because he could have just come around and said, "Hey, my wife and I are having a picnic. Could you please keep it down?" Which he chose not to do that, and so we off. I think shame is that shaming behavior. I find for for women at work is coupled with abuse, and they're using shame. Shame on you to mask the fact they're being abusive to you. Absolutely. Because the shame means you deserve it. Yeah. The shame means you deserve it. And the underlying belief of shame, that shame is the emotion. The story we, that we tell in our heads is, I am bad. Right? For you, his, his story was, we hear this all the time, being too much too loud. You don't get to make that much noise. You don't, you don't get to be so much when my wife is trying to have a picnic. In a public park during exactly. the day. Exactly. Exactly. So I love how you handled it. I would, um, if you were my client, I would walk you through a process of really going back and releasing that shame of I am, you know, of what it triggered for you because your immediate response was, I'm sorry, which means, you, you know, I am shameful. I am bad, right? I mean, well, I felt because I was being loud, was loud and it was inconsiderate, you know, so I did want to, I wanted to go clean my side of the street and say for that transgression, yes, I apologize, but I'm not taking anything else you're trying to throw my way. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I love that. And, and there's always the thought, you know, if you were a man being that loud, would he have handled it the same way? Absolutely not. Because a man might have punched him in the face, right? He did not feel safe to attack someone who is physically, physically his equal that, you know, and, and typically as women, we're not going around punching people in the face and responding that way. So yes, shame is used to control and disempower. Shame, that's what all of these wounds do. They disempower. 
They, so shame manifests as embarrassment. It, it manifests as hiding. It manifests as the inability or un, unwillingness to um, promote yourself, to speak up and share your opinion. And the next wound, guilt. Mm-hmm. How does that manifest? How, how does that manifest in the workplace? Well, guilt, when we talk, talk about this, we're walking, you know, guilt carriers half the time, right? Yeah. Where you blame yourself. And this goes, this goes deep in many ways. You know, we embody these wounds as children and we bring them forth as adults. But guilt manifests as taking on too much, taking the blame for what's not yours. Mm. Guilt underlying belief is I make bad decisions. My decisions harm other people, right? So you can see how that will hinder you in the workplace for fear, fear of, you know, becoming paralyzed and not making decisions, Mm. right? When CEOs, when you're in high level, you have to make quick decisions you have to trust yourself to make quick decisions and, and make those decisions right as it happens, right? Because if you're slow to making decisions, you lose opportunities. Yes. I mean, I had an example, again, in a previous role where I had to terminate somebody and I didn't have the, I didn't really have the support from my, 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 the, 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 the chief exec, or from even my team, and they, it took a long time for me to finally do it. Eventually, I brought somebody in who was much, much better, but I, if I had been able to move more quickly yes. at the beginning, it wouldn't have, it, things would have been better if I had moved more quickly. But the reality was in that situation, Michelle, I didn't really have the support. And I instinctively, in my gut, I knew. People said they had, I, they supported me verbally. Their behavior didn't follow through. So right. in essence, it was a situation where um, ultimately I had to wait until I felt more sure. But I definitely agree with you that when I've been able to move very quickly with teams, so when I run my own business, for example, and I'm mm-hmm. able to move much more quickly with my teams and or pivot. So we're going to stop doing one product and we pivoted in like two weeks and I changed my entire offering. We had a huge revenue boost because we were able to, as a whole team, come together, took them out for dinner and you guys were pivoting and they were really on board because they could see the, they, they saw the purpose of it while we're trying to do it. The issues we're having with the old way. And they knew I was, I was really confident. I didn't have the voices in my ear saying, well, you, you sure, 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 you sure. Are you sure? sure? Well, if you're sure, if you're sure, if you're sure. (laughs) And nobody's ever sure. That's such, that's such baloney, right? Ever sure. I'm going to write that down, Michelle. (laughs) Nobody's ever sure. And it's trusting that instinct. We have that instinct as women. We know we don't need proof. We don't need the logical proof. Sometimes things just don't have logical proof. Right. And waiting around for that logical proof is the death of our sanity, our career, 
our fulfillment, our authenticity, because we know what we know. But I, I also think that, that waiting for logical truth, I mean, the, you said the word instinct. Uh-huh. I find that a lot of women, so a lot of, and a lot of my community are in their late 30s, but a lot of the core in their 40s, a few in their early 50s, um, have, don't trust their instincts anymore. Their intuition, their, right. uh, the feminine intuition. I heard a lot about that growing up when I was like 10. You'd always hear about the female intuition. It's like we don't talk about that anymore. Right. And where did you grow up? I grew several places. I grew up a little bit in England, a little bit in Nigeria, and a bit in the United States as well. Okay. Okay. So I'm wondering if it's cultural because growing up in the States, um, Feminine intuition, the intuition was, you know, mother's intuition. So it was downgraded. It was downgraded a bit. And I think over the years, my experience is that it has been pummeled and destroyed and defeated. And really what gives us our strength in, in business is that intuition and and trusting that again because we know without knowing why we know mm -hmm. we know without knowing what we know but this what i teach the four core wounds nobody taught me that nobody taught me that i did my research i went in inside what what did i experience why didn't i why don't i love myself i asked those questions what would i know if I, if I loved myself, what would I know for sure in my mind? Mm -hmm. well, I would know that those, those truths that I am good, I am wanted, I am a blessing, right? I am lovable. Those things, those are in our heart. Those are at our core. Yeah. And it's those four core wounds that create this coating over the core. And we shut down our, our intuition we ignore it because people say, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And, and we begin to doubt it. And, and then we have the people around us going, look at these stats. Well, look, look at the past. Look at the past experience, mm -hmm. right? So one thing about intuition is it's pretty much always illogical. It always looks irresponsible, <laughs> right? <laughs> And yeah, but you know what? Men go with their gut and that's not seen as being illogical. It's like, I have a gut, you know, I'll go with my gut. It's the same. Yeah. And I, I feel it's, I think it's like very logical if you, if you understand how the brain works, which I do not. But I know that we, there's so many experiences that sit in a part of our mind that doesn't have language. Mm -hmm. Because we're in a situation, we've seen something similar before and our, our mind is telling us to, what to do because of the experiences we have, especially as we've got to this age, these ages. And I think back to a job I took um, a while ago where I did not, it was my, I was really unsure about it, but everybody felt it was an amazing job. And I won't say what company it was, but they thought it was an amazing, 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 amazing job. They would love it. Beyond, it's, it's a, every, everybody would die to get into that company. And I just was unsure the entire time. My first week at the company, I came home on Friday and I cried because I was so unhappy. My first, that was the, the first week of the onboarding. And wow. I cried. And 
that was pretty much my mood <laughs> until, I, until I resigned. Um, and I think that it, on one hand, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is the people doubting your intuition. Someone say, somebody might say it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're so unhappy. But that logic is about doubting what I know about myself. That yeah. was just not a place I was going to thrive in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't thrive in that space. I have been in places where I've since thrived um, and learned more about myself. Yes. Uh, so in terms of the other two fears, you talked about, can we just quickly touch on the, the last two of the core wounds? Sorry. Yes, no, absolutely. Yes, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Make up your mind, Michelle. Absolutely. <laughs> The fear of rejection and fear of abandonment. Like you said, we stop trusting our instincts because through past experiences. And some of those past experiences come clear from childhood where we have trusted ourselves and we were rejected or we were shamed, we were humiliated. I mean, it's a very basic human need to belong. And so that comes from, you know, the, our reptilian brain, our, it, our instinct for survival. And so we need, we need our tribe. We need our family. We need our group. We need to belong. And so, you know, in, for millennia, if you were rejected and abandoned, you died. You died. You know, so it puts us very much in the basic instincts of survival. And what you're talking about doing and what I'm talking about doing is thriving, thriving as humans. So we really have to move past those survival instincts in order to thrive. And so we cannot act out of those wounds. And we do. Unconsciously, we are are acting out of habit, which is keep us safe. That's what our subconscious mind does. It keeps you safe. You are looking for your comfortable place so you won't be shamed or guilted or rejected or abandoned. We look for that survival Mm -hmm. and our brains are wired to look for the survival. And so we miss, we absolutely cannot even see the opportunities to thrive. Right. So it's just, it's powerful when you understand it. I just think I think back to a a person I was I was talking to. It was a, a gentleman who was working as a senior. Let's call him a head of strategy for a, a multinational engineering company. And he, it was clear that he was on his way out. You know, his his his, his the the chief exec did not have any faith in his work, and he, the chief exec he wanted this other guy out. And this guy had gone to. And so he's under a lot of pressure um, to perform. He's under a lot of pressure and he just could not get the strategy, just couldn't do the work as right. pressure does that for you. And I had a chat with him a, a while back and I said to him, let's go say his name was um, Timothy. And I said, Timothy, you are a, you got a, you got a master's from, let's say, um, Princeton, a, from a school of that caliber. You're in your mid forties, and I hate to say this, and, and you're a dude. <laughs> and you're the strategy of one of the largest, like you know, engineering tech STEM companies in Europe. 
I mean, if I was you, if I had that profile, I'd be like printing cash. <laughs> and he was like, he, he like, this, I mean, forget this company, the whole, the, the companies in the whole world that would die for some of your profile. Do you not know that? And he was like, no, we should talk later. So this is someone who on many, when it comes to objective statistics, is probably best positioned economically to mm -hmm. get what he wants. And with that level of stress, he just could not see the opportunities with what he was going through. He just couldn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you're a fish in water, right? Yeah. You, you don't realize that's why we have so many people, you know, come into America and thrive. They see opportunity all around them and being raised here. We often see, you know, just hardships. It's like, how do I do that? How can I do that? And we become blinded mm -hmm. to our own opportunity. Great. So we, as we wrap up, Michelle, I just have one final question for you. Okay. So for a lot of the, lots of the women who are watching this video, and maybe a few of the men, they're in the community because they feel stuck, stuck in their careers. What advice would you give to a person who feels that she, he, they are stuck? When you're feeling stuck, there is a fear coming up. There is something that you have not been willing to do. And what's underlying that are the four core wounds. So when you're feeling stuck, you have to dig deeper. You have to dig deeper because the only thing that is keeping you stuck is fear. Fear of those four, those four wounds, being rejected, abandoned, you're ashamed of yourself or you fear you're not good enough. All of those pieces lead into the stuckness, just like the dude you were talking about, right? Yeah. He was stuck because there was a sense of fear yeah. going on that he just couldn't be this, this person that he was having the opportunity to be. And I see that so much in women. There's this, this stuckness, but it's purely an unwillingness to go deeper within you and, and, and explore the fears and move through them. Thank you. And with that, we are out of time. Um, thank you so much, Michelle, for, for being with us today. Thank you. It was my honor and pleasure. No, mine. I have learned so much. I've taken some notes myself. Um, it's just really great to have this, this time with other women to really share and learn from each other. My pleasure. Thank you. For those who'd like to get in contact with Michelle, if you're interested in getting some support from her, I have put her contact information in the, in the section, the notes section or the comments section below the video and in the email, if you've clicked on the email link to review this. So please do reach out to her. I'm sure she'll be able to help you work through the core, the four core wounds. Absolutely. Bye.